Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food. I'm your host, Stephanie Velarkis, accredited practicing dietitian and nutritionist and director of The Dietologist, an Australian-based practice focused on optimizing fertility through nutrition. This podcast will bring you snack-sized episodes for you to learn, grow, and be inspired by the latest research, facts, and practical lifestyle tips about eating well for optimal fertility, helping you cut through the confusion and myths to take back some of the control on your fertility journey, one bite at a time. Before we get into today's episode, just a brief note and trigger warning that miscarriage and loss is mentioned in this episode. So if that is a bit too difficult to hear about, tune into another episode and I am sending you so much love if this is a trigger for you and my heart goes out to you, but I just wanted to give you a heads up before we get into it. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. My name is Stephanie Velakis, and I am an expert fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist. And today's episode is all about mental health and fertility with very special guest, Alicia Polson, who is a lovely psychologist. Welcome, Leish. Thank you so much, Stephanie. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. So for those who don't know who you are and what you do, can you introduce yourself to our lovely listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, I'm a psychologist and I practice in clinic and online uh, with individuals and couples, both male and female, um, all around Australia and uh, worldwide. Um, I specialise in health and optimising fertility. Yeah, and that's um, where our uh, shared passion is. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so I work with people um, that are at all stages uh, of their process, so uh, preconception health, um, all, all all stages of fertility treatment, so, you know, IUI, IVF, um, genetic testing, donation, um, pregnancy and adjustment um, and postnatal stages as well as uh, ongoing from there. Um and uh, I look at encompassing all the issues that present, so uh, pain, anxiety, depression, hormonal adjustment uh, and impacts on mood um, and stress, including things like work stress and demands, um, grief and relationships, so interpersonal, social, um, you know, all of those issues, intimacy, libido, everything. Um, and uh, I address all of the issues relevant to the um, individuals, taking into account all of their um, genetic predispositions and then their unique uh, environmental factors mm. uh, so that we can work out some really, really tangible, um, practical things that they can do um, in, a, uh, you know, in their current circumstance mm-hmm. um, and just give them a confidential uh, space to be able to actually uh, be attended to. Mm. Um, and it's great to talk to you because obviously nutrition um, is such a fundamental part of mental health mm. um, because, uh, you know, so often just initially addressing these uh, fundamental protective factors, so nutrition and gut health, um, horn- hormonal balance um, and absorbing nutrients effectively, 
um, has such an impact on people's central nervous system. And even just doing those things alone, I quite often find um, a lot of uh, anxiety already decreases significantly. So um, it's really great to, you know, to have this sort of network of specialists in the field um, to address the whole person functioning um, and really get to the roots of optimising their health, not just sort of band-aiding things. Yeah. Um, And um, especially when people are in such uncertain times, um, Mm. either in their fertility process or just generally at the moment, Mm. um, you know, our brains really crave information to be able to reduce fear and feel a bit Mm. more prepared. Um, So to be able to have uh, good resources to sort of filter through all of the information that's out there um, Mm. to actually, uh, you know, get through all of that noise to look at what's relevant to them and then also how to implement that in their situation because obviously not one size fits all. No, as we know, as healthcare professionals, absolutely. absolutely. Totally, totally. Yeah. So going through a delay to conception or infertility leash can be one of the most emotionally and mentally taxing things that anyone can go through and we know that the rates of mental health concerns amongst those who are experiencing infertility or subfertility are markedly higher. Um, First of all, how common are mental health concerns amongst those trying to conceive or pursuing fertility treatments in particular? Um, Yeah, very common. Um, Just because it's a lot of the time it's quite a private experience doesn't mean that the distress isn't there. Um, So a lot of people, um, I guess, try and mask what's happening for them um, and that's just part of a cultural thing. We tend to try and present the the, the happy mask a lot of the time outwardly. Um, so a lot of the distress, a lot of the mental health challenges happen behind closed doors um, and um, sometimes for people uh, going through fertility challenges is the first time in their life that they've felt uh, mental health challenges. Uh, so it can kind of put them in sort of unfamiliar territory where they're starting to experience a lack of control that can impact on their mood or their outlook or their physical reactions um, or their emotional capacity. Uh, and sometimes people can can be quite afraid, you know, thinking, oh, my gosh, is there what's happening with my mental health? Um, and that fear tends to exacerbate the symptoms a lot of the time. Mm. Um, And then you have other people that have, you know, potentially got predisposition to having more of that raw central nervous system and, you know, past anxiety or depression. Um, And sometimes with fertility challenges, that can be exacerbated um, and uh, and they can have uh, stress reactions or have that, uh, you know, that sort of uh, intensified for them. Um, But in terms of uh, these... I guess these reactions when people are experiencing fertility challenges, um, they are a normal uh, and adaptive response to a really stressful life experience. So it's not as though people's bodies are having um, some sort of a malfunction that's just happening. Uh, Mm. There's a reason, you know, Mm. your body's craving a baby and then it's delayed, then distress is understandable, you know, mm. this is your body being functional. You know, mm. it's it's craving a baby, which is, uh, you know, really something instinctively that it does. And then, um, you know, when you feel as though there's delay, it's having that distress reaction. So supporting your body, trusting it, staying connected to it and caring for it um, actually mean that we can uh, reduce the distress 
uh, and then therefore you get better outcomes in terms of your mental health as well as your fertility. Mm. Uh, It's also important to remember that this experience isn't permanent. So, you know, the fertility process is one that we can work through um, to find, uh, you know, connection with the fulfilment of values, um, even when the process uh, is different from what you expected that it was going to look like. Um, and, uh, and when there are mental health challenges, there's always time to, to take a step off the wheel of feeling really uh, kind of wound up in it to be able to actually take a bit of time to check in with yourself, get the, the care and attention that you need to make sure that you maintain that, um, that emotional capacity and well-being um, to keep going uh, as, you, as long as you need to. Yeah. So is there a relationship, Leash, between mental health and female and male fertility? And is it a two-way street? Because oftentimes we hear people being like, oh, I know I, I know I should not be stressed, but being thinking about not being stressed is stressing me out. And I know stress isn't good for my fertility. Yeah. And now I'm stressing about the fact that I'm stressed. It's just like, whoa it's a lot (laughs) it is is a lot and I think that um I think that there are a couple of things I noticed that for for females um predominantly more than males I've noticed that there is a bit of that trend um and that's probably for a number of reasons the first could be instinctively that that craving happens preconception for women whereas men tend to develop the attachment after the child is born um but also that the process is very consuming for the female in terms of things like blood blood tests and tracking and, you know, temperature and, you know, even just looking at, you know, what you're eating the second half of the month and all of those things, um, you know, being around other pregnant women or children. Um, so there's much more neurological focus and attention on the, I, I guess, this this issue, this process. Um, and so where there's more looping or there's more kind of attention to it, there's more of that neural looping and tunnel vision around this being very consuming. Um, and when there's distress around this issue, if you're really consumed by it, understandably, it kind of, it just becomes stronger and stronger. Um, so, uh, so I guess this highlights what we can do about it in terms of actually reconditioning our attention to our advantage because it's then something that we know we can actually control what we attend to. Even sometimes it's hard, but we can control what we attend to to reduce that neural looping um, around those thoughts. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit further about, you know, some of the things that you can do more specifically as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think utilising the difference between men and women uh, helps because if you're both in that real state of being consumed, there wouldn't be as much support within a couple, which mm. is sometimes good to embrace that as a positive. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, the impacts are so um, widespread in terms of the, you know, the impacts that can happen then on a relationship that affect um, both men and women in different ways. So it might be that women notice, you know, that there are the thoughts and distress a lot, whereas it might be physiological for you know, for men or, or for some women. Um, and there might be impacts on things like um, intimacy or, um, you know, things like performance anxiety that can then yeah. make stress about this process and the the pressure that's put on it, the intensity, the timing, um, you know, it can put a lot of pressure on um, on that performance. And then, 
you know, therefore your your enjoyment, your ability to feel as though that's something that you want to engage in can be reduced. So, mm. you know, it's really important to look at, I guess, all of the, the practices that we can do to really support people that are yeah. having to face these challenges. Yeah. So I guess the question that I have is, is does stress contribute to a delay in conception and or mental health concerns more broadly or is it the other way around or is a little bit of both? As in, is the infertility obviously a source of stress and anxiety for many people? That's a pretty well-known fact. But does it work the other way? Is there a physiological impact that this can have on the body? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think that um, that there's definitely definitely an impact that it can have. Okay, so um, when we look at uh, when we look at at stress, um, uh, you know, we look at all of the the I guess all the things that we can do to reduce stress. Um, you know, our bodies obviously stress impacts inflammation in the gut, as you know, um, mm. and our absorption of nutrients and all of those things, which essentially mean that, you know, that it throws out a lot of physiological processes. It can throw out, you know, um, normal, ovul- you know, uh, natural ovulation and everything like that. So mm. we know that our bodies are really adaptive to dealing with acute moments of stress. Mm. But when it's chronic and sort of ongoing, it can yeah. then influence the outcomes. So mm. um, it's really good that we can look at um, at what we're doing, um, you know, both both now and uh, and in preparation as well as, uh, you know, when you're going through treatment to deal with stress. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, you know, being proactive about it, so like going to the dentist, um, yeah. being able to sort of have these check-ins is really important um, and addressing the issues early really helps um when we're living in this world with the kind of uh sensory input and demands and expectations um there's a lot of there's a lot of stress there's a lot of pressure that's happening on our bodies without us even realizing it you know working under fluorescent lights computers schedules everything like that um so mental health practices and actually being able to proactively care for our bodies, it's its really an essential practice. It's something mm. that, uh, you know, that is very much something that should be part of people's everyday life. Um, so that sort of sensory detox is, is kind of a, an essential um, to reduce the demands and calm the body, to let it heal naturally, to be able to to kind of support the functions that that we want it to, including our fertility. Yeah, excellent points there, and I and I think the link between both physical and mental health, you know, I think is starting to be more and more appreciated, you know, both in the research and just awareness by the population on a more broad level and we're always talking about diet and lifestyle choices um that we make to optimize our physical health when trying to conceive especially on this podcast (laughs) um but are there any other ways that we should be focusing on optimizing our mental health if we're thinking of trying for a baby whether we have a pre-existing concern or not and how early should people start thinking about this you know we talked about it like going to the dentist being preventative about it but should everyone be going for a bit of a chat with somebody like yourself in preparation for conception or only if they feel like they're not coping or they're feeling anxious you know yeah 
Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that I think it's really about trusting trusting yourself. You know, I'd love to think that we have these networks of connection with people that mean that we've got within our normal network all of the support we need. But for one reason or another, sometimes people have varied capacity to be able to support others the way when they need it. Um, so I think that always just checking in with yourself and doing that regularly because sometimes we can be so used to a certain level of of stress in our bodies that we don't actually realise it's present anymore. Um, so it's not just about being aware of what's there and being able to really um, check in and have that uh, that process of of staying in line, living with our, you know, staying in line with our values and living day to day with that mm. balance in our lives, reflective of that. Mm. Um, but also I think to feel as though that proactively there's so much that we can do. People often will wait till later in the process and they'll come and see me and think, oh, I wish I had have seen you <laughs> before I started this. Because yeah, I get the same thing. So, <laughs> um, so um, basically building, um, you know, building physiological and neurological resilience as early as possible means that our bodies and then subsequent emotional responses um, are just set up to be so much more adaptive when we come across challenges. Um, so we're so much better to do this early when we've got capacity. So when you're feeling good, like you said, mm. you know, things are, are going well, that's really such a great time to be able to uh, to put into place all of these protective factors, mm. you know, how you, how you set things up for the future. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, quite often um, I see people once they are feeling overwhelmed um, and we can work through that as well if people are feeling really stuck and distressed um you know we can really work through how to deal with that so it's not too late um at that point um in fact the research shows it's never too late because mm. what we know now about at any age is that our brains are um are able to change and be reconditioned that process of neuroplasticity um so you know at any stage we can recondition that distress um and it's also never too early because what we know now about, you know, um, in utero uh, development is that there is that conditioning already happening as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's really good to address whatever stage you're at, um, being able to optimise um, how you're connecting that prefrontal cortex and the, you know, the, the um, primal part of the brain so that you've got that resilience building there neurologically. Um mm. And, uh, and I think once fertility becomes a focus, um, checking in with a fertility psychologist is really great because what you can do is you can actually just look at, you know, some of those things to look out for. So your hormonal adjustments, you know, your mm -hmm. mood transitioning, you know, off the pill and things like that, um, optimising your libido. So quite mm -hmm. often we forget, you know, what's under, what's under our, you know, fertility, having a baby is you actually need to have time and space to want to you know, to want to have a baby. And, and if mm. that's primarily about sex, mm. um, then to feel as though, okay, well, with my busy work schedule, by the time I hop into bed at night, I'm exhausted. Um, how do you make space to just have intimate time with your partner early in the day, maybe on the weekend, where you feel as though it's, it's not pressure about intercourse, it's actually just mm. more about letting your body feel as though it's got capacity to, to feel as though it wants to, to be that way with somebody. So mm -hmm. when we kind of start to look at libido and actually the things that instinctively build 
your body to be in the right direction for fertility and for having a baby. Mm. Quite often there are things that people think, oh, wow, I could really do so much more about this. Mm. Um, and a lot of it is just little changes that you can make to in in how we kind of look at, at, at what you can do within your lifestyle and with your relationships. Um, mm. So, and also just looking at how you maintain those relationship connections when there's then a process of, you know, timing sex and things like that as well so that it doesn't end up being something that, you know, sex is just for that purpose or that there's kind of reduced uh, enjoyment because of, uh, you know, feeling as though that there are other intentions and that that can then have people have a different experience. Um, So, um so there's a whole lot that we can do really proactively. Um, we can look at maintaining balance and self-care, looking at body changes and how you feel within yourself and your body, um, your social connections and how they can change uh, as you transition, say, from work, you know, to being at home or, you know, whatever it might be, um, and uh, and all of the all of those factors. So there's, yeah, there's really a lot that um, that you can do proactively even when you're feeling really good Um, and also it means that you've then engaged with knowing okay this is somebody that 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 I can talk to and that then if I do come across something challenging I know who they are I know what they're about and you know and we can we can kind of give them then some extra support if and when that's needed yeah I always say that to have your team assembled (laughs) for lack of a like Avengers assemble, like have your team assembled before, ideally if you can, before you ever reach a point where you get to some kind of crisis point or, you know, whether physical health or mental health wise because, yeah, I, I, I experience the same thing, you know, people that are being proactive about their preconception health and, and seeking nutrition advice earlier, even if things aren't a concern, you know, we need less appointments. It's, it's less stressful. It's less yeah. of a rush. It's, yeah. you know, we're not on the clock and we've got room and time and space and those people seem to settle into it a little bit more with yeah. ease, um, which is what you want. <laughs> Versus, and, you know, I always have the motto of it's never too late. You know, if you feel like you're at this bit of a crisis point, you need help, but yeah. it takes more time and energy and and often if you feel like you're up against it from a timing perspective as well because, yeah. you know, treatment starts this day, um, it can add all these other layers to it and make it a totally different experience for people as well. And that all contributes to that mental um, capacity load, um, if you will, um, as well. Yeah, Absolutely. That's why I always say if your diet's stressing you out, it ain't the right diet for you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, so uh, frustratingly, many people tell people who are trying to conceive uh, that when you stop trying so hard for a baby, it, it just happens, you know, naturally. <laughs> yeah. uh, and this is probably one of the most annoying things that I reckon my clients tell me that they hear and, um, you know, is told to them, although well-intended. Is there any evidence around this idea of, you know, when you stop trying so hard it'll just happen or is it just a whole bunch of hogwash? (laughs) It's it's really hard, isn't it? Yeah, I definitely feel for people. It's sort of like, well, gee, if if I had thought of that, (laughs) you know, I would have done that already. Um, but, you know, yeah. when getting pregnant and having a baby is something that people value, um, then 
it's really understandable that there's a lot of pressure on it. So you can't deny the importance of of how you feel. It's not as though you can just sort of say, oh, I'm just going to pretend that it that it doesn't matter and it won't, mm. you know, it, I'll be able to take the pressure off or stop stressing about it. Um, so I think it's really important to let it be a valued part of part of their life experience, you know, that that's okay to feel as though there's something that, you know, that there's a longing for, that there's a want. Um, and letting it be one of the things that you value in your life. So what we attend to, as we just talked about, what we attend to is very powerful neurologically. And if we can have this, you know, this, um, this part that we really value be one part of our life experience, it essentially means that, you know, we've got a little bit of control over actually how we can reduce that, that distress that then does let that cortisol hormone drop and does have impacts in terms of our outcomes. So, um, you know, when we, when we look at, at how, how much focus, how much, um, you know, how much time we spend in that sphere, um, then, you know, it, it does have that sort of relative impact. Um, so what we can do is we can actually look at that, again, that attention, you know, what we're creating in terms of our balance. Um, it's kind of like, um, you know, our brains have this negative bias uh, and they do it to be protective. So we're kind of tuned in to focus on the obstacles, you know, it's kind of so that our brains can be one step ahead um, to protect us for what might be the, the problem. Um, but we kind of want to do the opposite. It's like riding a bike. You want to look at where you want to go. So rather than focusing on the obstacles, you want to look at where you want to go and you want to really enrich that picture. You know, it's much easier to stop looking at the, you know, the obstacle over here mm-hmm. um, if you've got a really beautiful path ahead of you that's an invitation to where you want to go. Um, so that kind of gives you more um, positive focus rather than just tr- trying to tell yourself, hey, don't look at this over here. It's kind of like waiting for the, you know, waiting for the toast to pop out of the toaster. Yeah. And if you stand there in front of it waiting for it to pop, it seems like yeah. it takes ages. Yeah. But if you kind of turn around and you focus on, okay, well, what other parts are really important mm-hmm. for me to prepare for a nutritious breakfast? Um, you know, I'll get out the avocado and I'll do this, that and the other. You yeah. know, it relatively means that there's less pressure on the toast mm-hmm. and it also quite often, you know, it takes, it, it's quicker. Yeah. <laughs> it, it seems to Feels quicker, yeah. Um, yeah. So essentially, you know, what we what we can do is, you know, we can actually work with that um, in really tangible ways and this is where getting support um, to do this really helps because sometimes when you're really stuck in that looping of your attention, mm. it's really hard to step away from the toaster. Yeah. And sometimes you need a bit of help, but mm. it does make a difference to that stress and focus to then have a, an impact on results. Yeah. Um, and what you do is you're then using like the prep of the, the rest of your breakfast, mm. is you're then using this time, you know, these challenges um, you're kind of using them as a, an opportunity for growth. You know, when else would you have taken the time to to engage with a psychologist? You know, when else mm. would you have learned how to deal with with stress or potentially with you know setting uh, the boundaries that you need to in terms of work or or being mm. able to be honest with people about when you need help or yeah. you know, telling people what your needs are or, or putting yourself first. 
mm-hmm. in a situation that, you know, that might actually mean that your body needs a little bit of extra care. Yeah. So, you know, using these opportunities that are lifelong skills that you might learn now that you may not have had opportunity or been pushed to focus on otherwise. Yeah. Um, you know, time with your partner, whatever yeah. it might be, um, it does give us, it g- gives us something to work with rather than just, okay, stop looking at the toaster. Because, yeah, if it was that easy, we'd do it. <laughs> yeah, and the other thing is is sometimes those comments don't, you know, from the outside it seems like a really well-meaning comment but really it's, you know, some people do need a lot more help to make their realisation of having a baby happen for them and it may not have be possible to just happen on its own. Um, yeah, absolutely. the hand. Yeah, like always telling people what is and isn't helpful, you know, to be able to actually give people direction yeah. um, is, you know, quite often we sort of expect that people are going to to know the right and wrong things to say. Sometimes we really just need to be specific about what does and doesn't help. Yeah. You know? So, hey, hang out with me, take me to do something nice and if I want to talk about it, I'll let you know or, you yeah. know, giving people what your needs are. Yeah. yeah, and I also find strategy that I find really helpful in my life is I often if I'm going into one of these conversations, I'll be like, I just need you to listen. I don't need yeah. a solution. Yeah. <laughs> the solution, I will work that out. I don't need I your input because that's going to frustrate me. I just want someone to listen to me vent right now. Thanks. <laughs> Great, which is also part of what, what is it does. It helps to come back to trusting your body and, and knowing, you know, these are the things that, um, you know, that, that you do. You're the expert on yourself. You know, you'll know your body better than anyone else. You've lived with it for a long time. So, um, you know, letting your body filter through to what's, you know, what it needs. Yeah, absolutely. Can you suggest some simple strategies for those people who are maybe finding themselves in this spot where they're feeling a little bit challenged with their mental health and they're trying to conceive or experiencing you know, delays to conception or going through fertility treatments. Is there some simple things that people can do that are listening that are accessible for them to kind of have a little practical takeaway from today's podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think first of all, the focus on the fundamentals, so the protective factors, which is, you know, exactly what you do with people, that nutrition and gut health, um, you know, sunlight, good, deep recovery sleep, um, which is so vital for mental health and fertility outcomes. Um, and not just, you know, we talk about, oh, yeah, sleep. Everyone knows how how valuable that is. Everybody knows how much impact that has on their mental health and their fertility. But how do we do that? So one of the top tips that I use to really um, start to have there be something tangible you can do to support your sleep um, is actually a process where, you essentially make time for yourself um, early in the day for all of those thoughts and fears. So um, when you, you know, if, if you get to nighttime and you've got a whole lot of, you know, a whole lot of uh, scary, fearful, stressful thoughts because you've been busy all day and they come in when you hop into bed at night, um, it releases adrenaline into your body. And what adrenaline does is it's supposed to keep you awake. So then trying to get into, get to sleep or get that deep sleep, Um, can be really challenging. So what we want to do is we want to actually reschedule these important thoughts. They obviously matter. You know, they're something that you value, something that's on your mind. Um, 
but you want to reschedule them to the morning. So early in the day, carve out a time for them, 10 or 15 minutes, um, get your pen and paper um, and, uh, you know, sit somewhere in the sun, um, you know, a cup of tea before you start work or at, at morning tea or lunchtime um, and just invite in the thoughts and the worries that are there. Um, yeah. You might write down any questions you've got for your doctor, any um, things that you notice about your body that you think are important, you know, things that you're worried about in terms of your relationship or, you know, if you think, oh, you know, there's a friend that I've been putting off calling, um, you know, it might be that you then schedule it into your phone, you know, 4.30 after, 4.30 Thursday afternoon, you know, call, blah, blah. And so you're kind of addressing what you need to early in the day. Um because what this does is it then gives your brain, okay, there's a there's a space here for you for all of this stuff and it's tangible and you've addressed it and you're also interacting with it with the logic part of your brain. So in the morning we're in that logic part of the brain. Um, at night we don't have a lot of emotional reserve left, so we're in the really emotional part of the brain. So don't try and resolve anything or have, you know, big conversations at night because you just don't have a lot of emotional reserve. So if you want to, you know, in your interaction with something that, you know, that's a bit stressful, it's going to be much better in the morning because you'll be able to, to, to see it with that logic brain rather than the emotionally reactive. Um, so once you've done this, this process of giving yourself space early in the day, the rest of the day, if you're having stressful thoughts or worry thoughts or feeling overwhelmed, you just observe that there's a thought there and you label it, so stress thought, and you just then come back to being present or you remind yourself, right now it's time for my mind to rest if you're in bed at night. And I've got time for you at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Yeah. Essentially what you're doing is you're really just starting that reconditioning process of it's okay, I'm not denying myself those feelings feelings or those thoughts Mm. Um, I'm interacting them with my logic brain and I'm then allowing myself that peaceful uh, rest time for the rest of the day where my Mm. cortisol hormone can drop um, so that your body then becomes more present and then also you get better recovery sleep yeah that's Um, such a great tip and and I guess the you know the the part of that is that then after that appointment you know with yourself if there is any adrenaline in your body, you've got time then through the day to go and have a walk and kind of process it before mm. you're trying to go to bed at night. Yeah, keep it away from the sleepy yeah. time. Absolutely. And I and I guess the other thing then is just uh, if you do have experiences of, uh, of anxiety or feeling as though there's a lot of stress, mm. in the moment um, that adrenaline, you basically need to let it out. So rather than trying to fight against it, calm and calm yourself down initially Mm -hmm. um actually just moving your body so engaging your muscles and that might just be a walk around the block um or you know just up and down a flight of stairs a few times um but essentially using your muscles first and then uh and then you'd use a breathing activity and i'll go through a really simple way to use the breath for clients so that they know how to regulate calm the central nervous system, how to regulate the activity in your brain. Um, And essentially it's breathing in uh, right down to your diaphragm, through in and out through your nose, and about five of those breaths. So first of all, having your your five minutes of muscle engagement Mm -hmm. and then your five 
deep breaths. And that's a really basic for just being able to regulate your body if you're experiencing anxiety. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I guess really the only other things are just more about reducing the input, reducing the demands. So rather than feeling like there's more things on your to-do list of, oh, now I've got to do this to improve my fertility and I've got to take this and do this and run around, it's how can I do less? You know, I've got something else that's here that's important. How do I do less of the, the things that are feeling like they're burdens? And how do I have less input? You know, how do I reduce, you know, noise-cancelling earphones? What are all of the things that actually reduce the stress and tension on my body um, so that it can kind of just give you the best chance that you can have to really um, have that, uh, yeah, that capacity? Um, and then, you know, there's also just little things that you can do to um, have in terms of just little neurological micro-tasks which might be things that draw you into the present. So they're little things like, um, you know, like brushing your teeth with the non-dominant hand um, or, you know, driving a different way home from work, things that essentially put you into a, um, a, a novel environment. So you know how, like, when you feel better when you're on holidays? Yeah. Um, a lot of the time it's because it's an unfamiliar environment. So you're actually just paying attention to what's around you yeah. and spending less time uh, in that sort of, uh, thought planning um, state. So the, the the peacefulness of being able to be present is actually incredibly calming and, and an incredible place of um, respite, especially when you feel like the big the bigger picture isn't resolved yet. So it may not be resolved yet in terms of the bigger picture with fertility, but you can find respite in those moments of just letting your body be able to be present. And we can do that you know, we can do that wherever we need to. You know, we can work out how to have holidays at home. I've had yeah. to be very creative with COVID <laughs> because people haven't had their usual holidays. So we no. all sorts yes, of Yes, I feel it. But, um, but we can do that if you need some help. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, dear. You've got to bust out the, uh, the little... Uh, cute umbrellas that they put on your cocktails for your at-home mocktails or something. <laughs> Last the heater in the middle of winter. <laughs> I am in Fiji. <laughs> oh, visualize. What a feature. Now with medications, Alicia, obviously with things like IVF and IUI and and different, you know, fertility interventions on the medical scale, I hear lots of my clients complain about their mood um, and that they feel like they're, you know, in another body almost in terms of their brain in particular. And I will say that their partners do confer with that. So what's the kind of impact that we're seeing in terms of medications and hormones in particular on mental health and mood concerns is it a heightening effect of what's already there or is it you know completely different yeah so I mean the the process in itself is very demanding um, especially when you know when you're in fertility um, treatment um, and you're trying to carry on with life at the same time um, and quite often you know kind of with that you know be that that duck floating along on the the water that just looks like it's cruising along but the legs underneath are like going like mad trying to keep it all in under control um 
when you put added hormones on top of that, it can really just exacerbate what's there. So often there is already distress, but then hormones can just amplify it a lot. Um, and it can affect your mental health. You may, I mean, you know, even within just a month-to-month fluctuation that there are times when you can feel much more teary, much less energy, so it then means that you maybe, you know, uh, do less physical activity, which then also impacts in terms of those, um, you know, endorphins and then how you feel in terms of joy. So it is, it, it does all have an impact on your system as a whole. And um, especially when you look at things like progesterone, quite often I find people say that that can really kick around their, you know, their mood or, you know, have those impacts. Um, so, you know, there is a much more uh, likeliness to be, have that heightened emotional reactivity. Yeah. Um, so preparation, and this is where it's really, um, yeah, really important to have that check-in with um, a psychologist, like fertility psychologist that know mm. the process um, before you start because preparation is really essential. Um, yeah. When you can give yourself um, the extra space that you need, so whether it's planning um, some time off or just privacy, you know, sometimes on those days when, you know, if you're getting a pregnancy test and things like that, you want to be able to just have time when you can have privacy so that if you've got tears, you don't have that distress of I'm in a public place or I'm at work and then I have to try and work out how to, mm. you know, get home or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and so you can just be peaceful with the fact that if there are added hormones that you're you're allowing for that, you've got mm. space for it. Mm. And you can then observe the hormonal impact. You can also let people around you know, hey, this is what's happening for me. So partner, you know, hey, I might be much more emotionally reactive. So just be kind to me. And, um, you know, and you also just don't expect too much of yourself. Don't try and put on too many demands. Um, And uh, and it just helps you to also feel as though that, you know, that you've got a a little bit more control when you know what to expect and Mm. prepare for it. Um, it also means that, you know, when you're, you know, when you're going into this process, it's really mm. important to feel as though that you can empower yourself to ask the kind of questions that you've got of your specialist doctors and everything like that so that you know, okay, you know, what can I, you know, what can I expect here? What are some of the things I need to consider? Um, and, um, and, you know, and kind of have that set up. And that way also if you've engaged with the psychologist, you've, you've got that prep, you know you can check in if you need to um, and you've also got support for the, the outcomes um, and any of the, you know, subsequent hormones as well. Yeah. And it's and- also important, important, I think, to remember that the process is impermanent. Mm-hmm. Um, so the intensity, you know, that real hormonal overwhelm and intensity at certain stages of treatment, um, and the you know what you feel there um, is is not permanent, and that um, that there is support for your well being and mental health uh, to deal with it in that moment. Mm. But then the intensity changes. Yeah, so important to remember. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it when you're in it, but <laughs> it feels yeah. like it's lasting forever, doesn't it? Like a, big, a big wave, can't it? That you think, yeah. Big tidal wave. A break between these sets of waves. I need to yeah. come up with some air. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly <laughs> right. Speaking of medications, um, a lot of people need more than just, you know, talking therapy and nutrition support to help support their mental health and they need 
medications, which yeah. I think is so important to talk about because I think there's a lot of stigma and also fear that people have about using medications to support their mental health under the guidance of their doctor or psychiatrist or whoever they're, you know, seeing to help with that. Um, A lot of people get really concerned about whether that's going to have an impact on conception and pregnancy. Can you shed any insight on medication, mental health medication, like antidepressants and things like that? Um, and whether there's any impact on um, outcomes? Yeah, so um, it's really important for each individual to get their specialist doctor's advice. Um, I think having a really good team of, you know, your whoever's overseeing your psychological medication, your fertility specialist, so that you've really got all of the information that you need about um, about the particular medications that you're on or potentially going to take, um, any side effects, um, because there are so many individual factors in terms of interactions or in terms of, you know, the intensity of, of what you've experienced, your history, everything like that. Um, there is mixed research in terms of the impacts and the outcomes. So there isn't necessarily a, you know, uh, this is where it can vary and people can feel as though, you know, that it's more than that just comes down to the individual weighing up the factors that are relevant to them. Um, So I think that the key is then once you've got all of the information and trusting your body in terms of what's right for you, Mm. um, also then having confidence in in what you're doing. So if you feel as though, hey, you know, I I want to get a a second opinion to check in with, you know, with another doctor. I want to um, kind of explore what are all my options here Um, that, uh, you know, that all of those things are really um, explored before you, before you start, uh, you know, the process of trying to get pregnant. Um, And also I think to have confidence that there are many uh, non-pharmacological uh, strategies that you can look at as an alternative mm. or first. So, you know, light therapy, hot and cold therapy, you know, obviously gut health and nutrition, breath work, neuroconditioning, you know, there's a lot that we can do to support mm. mental health and all presentations of it, even when there are genetic predispositions and, and uh, pre-existing um, impacts uh, so that it may or may not uh, have that impact uh, in terms of psychological medication and the need for it. Mm. Um, sometimes Band-Aids can cloudy the picture um, mm. when distress is there for a reason. You know, sometimes mm. people think, oh, there's something that's happened, it's distressed me, quick, make it go away. We're mm. used to, you know, give me a some, give me a pill to fix it. Um, yeah. And sometimes actually looking at what's under that and working in um, with a psychologist can actually mm. be be really effective to do that first before there's kind of a complication sometimes of adding more medication, Mm. especially if there are, you know, kind of uh, other side effects or things to consider in terms of fertility treatment. Yeah. Um, Because our bodies can handle acute stress, just not the chronic. chronic. Um, And, uh, and, you know, and psychological medication um, is because it's a relevant factor for a lot of people these days um, and it can be useful in, you know, in short term in some cases. um, I think it's important that there's no, that there's no judgment on this, you Mm -hmm. know, so as long as they're informed and they've, they're aware of all of the risks 
and that they feel as though that, you know, that this is the, the, the best option for them and that they've got all of the pillars underneath from their yeah. psychologist. So they've kind of got all of this um, underneath it and that that's something that they're using in addition. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, I think that it, it's really important to support them in that. Um, yeah. I mean, I work, I work quite often with people that are wanting to withdraw from or reduce psychological medication in preparation for pregnancy Mm. Um, and uh, and they you know and we do that really successfully so it's important to feel as though you know that we can build up all of these other pillars so you don't feel as though you're taking something out without putting in a whole lot of support structure underneath you Um, especially then post-treatment so through pregnancy when Mm. hormones again are rebalancing um, and then post uh, postnatally as well. So mm-hmm. they're all things that we just, you know, we stay really on top of, so that uh, so that there isn't that space for people to feel as though that things can kind of uh, get off track, uh, and that there needs to be more reliance on medication uh, if if it isn't necessary. Yeah, awesome. Where would you recommend people seek support for mental health conditions if they are struggling with fertility or related complications? I think we've dropped a few hints in this podcast episode. We're, <laughs> we're getting the theme, fertility psychologist. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So um, so I think that, you've, you know, you've kind of got a number of, um, of ports to go from. I mean, the Australian Psychological Society, um, mm. which is um, – uh, online so Australian Psychological Society has a search engine called find a psychologist mm-hmm. and you can just put in you know fertility as one of the issues that you want to uh, to have support with and it will come up with a list of psychologists that have that as an area of focus or specialization yeah. um, you've also got your uh, fertility clinics will have a, um, a psychologist or counselor attached to them so that's yeah. a point of reference as well Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Anzika, Australian and New Zealand uh, Counselors Association uh, mm-hmm. website that also has a list of uh, resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got your, your 24-hour support counselling lines, so like Lifeline and Beyond Blue, yeah. um, which are really great. I think sometimes when you feel really overwhelmed and distressed, always having that that backup mm-hmm. for, for being able to reach out and just talk to somebody. Like you said, sometimes you just need to get that out and that's okay mm. and to to do that with one of those resources is really important as well yeah um and uh and then you've also got um your you know your gp so um quite often people will you know when they're when they're experiencing this level of distress with fertility challenges um or um mental health um complications or you know anxiety stress um it's it, it does mean that they can go to their GP, they can get a mental health care plan, which mm-hmm. means that you then with a psychologist can get um, your Medicare rebate on up to 20 sessions each calendar year at the moment. Um, that was adjusted with COVID, um, which, you know, usually it's 10, but at the moment it's 20 um, when you've got a mental health care plan. Yeah. Um, but also within your network, you know, so they're mm. kind of the, the outside of your network. Yes, getting help, getting help for people that, that know what the process is about um, is really helpful in preparation and having a psychologist that you can check in with throughout mm. the process and then regularly, you know, just, just every now and then to stay on track. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, just being able to be a little bit more open in the conversation with your normal network. Um, you know, letting the people around you know how they can help you um, 
and just being a little bit, you know, a, a little bit more able to to take down the mask um, because it's quite exhausting when you've got this mask on all the time that everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And quite often I find that, you know, organisations and things like that, they, they don't quite know how to how to support people and that's probably because we do keep it really behind closed doors. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to be able to be a little bit more real about about fertility challenges and how hard they are, um, to try and get a little bit more of that exposure, you know, those support groups, the things like yeah. that for how do, how do family and friends help, you know, what, mm. what can people do that's appropriate? And um, the more that I think that we we do kind of reach out, tell people what's going on, and uh, and have that that sort of uh, yeah, I guess that kindness to ourselves, um, the more it will support us as well as other people in future. Yeah. Where can people find out more about you, Alicia, and connect with you? Um, so you can get in touch with me. Probably the best way is uh, through my website. So mm-hmm. that's just. Uh, www.appsych.app um, or on, uh, yeah, which is basically, or you know, we'll, we'll then be able to send me an email um, mm-hmm. or uh, or text, which you can do. The contact details are on my website. Mm-hmm. Um, or I've also got uh, my Instagram there as well, which is just a.p.psychology. Yay, awesome. We'll have all those links and um, those resources that you mentioned in the show notes. Um, and as well, I just want to add quickly to those resources. Some of you, um, our listeners are not from Australia, so some of that isn't going to apply to um, to you. But definitely have a look for a psychologist or counsellor in your area that has an interest and understanding of the process of trying to conceive and fertility because you need that background to get that kind of support um, that you need and also don't forget that you know a lot of us healthcare providers are now virtual and can work with people from all over the world so if you feel like you really connect with a particular person um, reach out and see if they can offer you a zoom or a phone consult and things like that because I know you do that as well as yeah. I do. <laughs> I do. It's great. I do. I love to connect with people all around the world and, you so know, cool. um, yeah, it's, yeah, it is fantastic to feel yeah. as though that you can, um, yeah, that you can have that support and, and generally, you know, the time difference, everything like that, you can work out pretty well. Yeah, yeah, that's what time zone converters are for. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Leish, for coming on the podcast and sharing all of those strategies and and just shedding some light. This is a really highly requested topic. So I know the listeners are going to really enjoy um, listening to this one and hopefully they have. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. <laughs> All right, everyone, don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Hit follow and subscribe and I will catch you in the next episode.